Welcome to Gadgets, a podcast from Gizmodo where we woman-splain the latest technology. I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Earhart. Back from being out sick last week, I am your deputy consumer tech editor. And joining me today is... I'm Florence Ion, and I am a consumer tech reporter here at Gizmodo. And I am not wearing a watch. Yeah, no, I see your watch in the background. I have my watch on, which we'll talk about a little bit Mm -hmm. later. But uh, Flo, I know you've been having some difficulties with your uh, watch lately. Yes, I have, which is why, Michelle, I instead called upon my trusty Tamagotchi to tell me the time. Because my watch is currently eating through battery life. (laughs) Your Tamagotchi can tell the time. I mean, of course it can tell the time. I'm just always amazed with that. So like when the Pokemon Gen 2 games came out on the Game Boy. Oh, you can't see it because of the green screen. Oh, no, green screen. (laughs) When the Pokemon uh, Game Boy Color games came out and they introduced like the in-game clock that synced up with the real world clock, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. My parents would be like, what time is it? And I'll be like, I got this. Like, food (laughs) up Pokemon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I um got back into an old Tamagotchi this week. And yes, I wanted to take like a minute to talk about this. Very self-indulgent. But it's just because there's a new hack that's out. It's our podcast. It's true. There's a new hack that's out. And like, I would feel remiss without mentioning all like of the sad stuff that's going on around us right now. So mm-hmm. I decided that what I really needed was a lot of comfort this week. So I busted out an older Tamagotchi to play with this hack. And it's been... I've been compartmentalizing myself into the bits of joy that I'm getting there. And um, I'm having a lot of fun with the latest hack. So I feel like I should just let people know if you want to know about that. I post about it on TikTok. (laughs) What is this hack? Now I'm curious. So uh, very quickly, I wrote like a big article last year on Gizmodo. You know, I'll link it in the show notes just in case anybody's like curious what the heck I'm talking about. But I had mentioned how I learned to hack my Tamagotchi. And there's this fan-made app that you can download Windows only. And there are fans of Tamagotchi who have created these, um, let's see, I guess you would call them patches. But you load them onto the Tamagotchi because this particular model still has Bluetooth. Hmm. Green screen. Wait, still a has Bluetooth, Bluetooth Tamagotchi? So, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the battery life is terrible because of that. <laughs> so there's a... There's positives and negatives, but this particular new hack lets you create like your perfect uh, breeding partner because the whole point of Tamagotchi is to get different combinations and see mm-hmm. <laughs> what you can do through breeding. You can like, link oh them God. together. And... Yes. And they make a baby, which comes in an egg, which is the Tama. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so the cute. Gachi, then? Egg Gachi. Mm-hmm. It's I so don't cute. know. That's so cute. So you can like hack in specific um, like stats or something like with Pokemon or whatever? Oh, yeah. You can like get all, you know, unlimited gachi points, which is what you use as in-game currency. Uh, you can change the colors of your Tamagotchi based on like whatever is the default. There's a lot of code that they put into these these little digital eggs. And so I really appreciate the fan community because they – kind of you know they'll go in and tear everything apart tear it down and figure out what you can do in the back end and now i 
I got a new hack. I did have to pay uh, $10 for the hack, though. What? So, yes, because developers, like, they deserve to be paid for their hard work. So, But, like, what they where did... was the hack stored that it was able to put Etsy. itself behind a paywall? Etsy. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my so gosh. It's, you're it's downloading Etsy Tamagotchi hacks. <laughs> That's, you... like, A-plus gadgets material. Yeah. Take... 10 minutes anytime if you're ever curious and you go on Etsy, it is surprising. Like you could buy, you could find vintage Tamagotchi on there, uh, rare ones for people who collect them. I have my eye on one, but you know, it's like $300 the one that I want because I, I didn't buy it in thought about 2011. Digital goods on, ga- um, I was going to say gadgets on uh, <laughs> Etsy. Uh, I didn't realize that was a thing you could do there. Uh, but oh, that's yeah. really creative yeah. and cool. <laughs> Wait, so I love did, it. Does, is it you download it? You bought the patch. You didn't bought buy like a pre-patched Tamagotchi that they shipped no. to you. Okay, I bought the patch. Yeah, cool. I didn't uploaded know it that, myself. Uh, Etsy would let you do that. That opens up a lot of uh, avenues to stuff. Uh, I used. I to hope I'm not outing anyone it. now. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I used to put no, games it's... on itch.io or whatever, which is like you can charge people for mm-hmm. software there. Um, but it sounds like they have some new competition. Mm, yes. I get stuff from itch.io too. Lots of graphics for my yeah. Discord. So, I, um, what is it? I, for this week for comfort, I have been playing a lot of the Yu-Gi-Oh! mobile game on oh, my heck phone. Yeah. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel. Um, and it was comforting up until like, I got in that problem you get where I ranked up to a high enough tier now where everyone just constantly beats me and it's very frustrating and like the high end strategies aren't as fun as the other strategies. The problem with a card game, um, especially one like Yu-Gi-Oh is like it can be boring to play against certain people, not because of how they play or whatever. I'm not trying to sound like a scrub, but because their turns can take like five minutes if they go through certain combos. And the higher you rank up, the more likely you are to find players who are good enough to do that. Um, So it sounds like I'm going to have to find a a new comfort uh, media soon. But uh, I'm not. Pokemon the card game online? That was because I'm wearing. Is there a, an online Pokemon player? Yeah, there is, and it's the same issue with like if you're playing against some distracted nine-year-old, you know, they their turn could take a while, but they give you a uh, a limit on it. So if they mm. take longer than twenty seconds, it starts to count you oh, down, and that's then you so... can miss your turn if you're not the, paying the, attention. The Yu-Gi-Oh one is so generous; it gives you like five minutes per turn, and then each new turn, it gives you like eighty that's extra seconds very generous. or whatever. That's yeah, very generous. I tried playing the magic uh, gotcha game, uh, and I just don't like magic as much, but it's definitely a lot quicker turns. I have a meeting with our boss uh, earlier today, our editor-in-chief, David Ewalt, and he was flipping through his iPad, and I saw the magic app on there, and I was like, ah, I know <laughs> you. I know what you're doing, but whatever. Um, whatever brings you comfort. Talk- we should talk about gadgets, uh, gadgets for gadgets, though. Uh, so for, for this week's show, we are checking in with our watches. Uh, I know over the past two episodes, I've gone on a bit of an odyssey with my watch, uh, mm-hmm. where I started out hating watches, and now I have uh, an Apple Watch SE that I absolutely adore, and we can talk about that. 
And then Flo, you've been having some difficulties with your uh, Samsung Galaxy Watch 4, specifically with the uh, the Google Assistant update. So we'll talk about that. Uh, after that, we will talk about uh, cloud gaming, uh, Xbox Game Pass, Amazon Luna, Google Stadia. Uh, we might have some hot takes there. Uh, so uh, listen along and maybe you'll get to hear them. Finally, after that, Flo uh, has a rant about screens in cars. I haven't driven since moving to New York, but I, every time I've rented a car, I've seen the screens in there and it still baffles me. So I'm down to hear this rant. Old Flo yells at car at clouds. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's totally reasonable. Uh, but before we move on, let's go ahead and take a break. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So we are back with our first segment of we're going to talk about our smartwatches. Let's watch our watches. You know, I was going to start with my Apple Watch, flow, but it seems like you have a, a lot to discuss. So let's just go. What has been bothering you about the Galaxy Watch lately? Uh, okay, I am sorry to take over this conversation with my Android musings. Um, I, I know that Apple people just love hearing me talk about all the ways that Android things let me down, but I was really, I really do love the Samsung Galaxy Watch 4. But since this update, I have noticed the up the battery life is just not doing too well. And uh, apparently, this is this is a common issue of the watch as it is. So I actually installed the Google Assistant yesterday. I managed to get installed. The update was announced Monday morning by Samsung, and it's kind of a I am going to put together a whole thing for Gizmodo this week on how to get it on your watch if you haven't gotten it already. It's a little, it's weirdly tri tricky and like not very intuitive as I expected a usual software. <clears throat> not really intuitive as I expected a usual software update to be. Uh, so yesterday the battery life was really disappointing. I was at 70%, like just a few hours off the charger. Even right now, let's see, I'm at 78%, three hours off the charger. It's actually not usually that bad. Jeez, I'm at 91% uh, three hours off the charger. See? this th That's not okay. And you were using it to commute into work today. All I've done is commute down the stairs. So <laughs> it should not be this bad. I, I didn't use directions think it or anything. Be more than three hours off the charger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And by the way, I've been seeing a lot of threads like this uh, within the last 24 hours on Twitter just about the battery life between the Samsung watch with the assistant and the Apple watch. And also the assistant has been kind of buggy. Like 
I can do a lot of the things that I can do with the smart speakers I have around the house and the smart displays, but the commands don't always work the first time around. Sometimes the watch doesn't hear me properly. If I am talking too loudly and another microphone somewhere in my house picks me up, then everything gets confused. And so I have to like yell at the watch and then I have to yell at something behind me. So there's a lot of things that I need to do to make this work a little better for myself. Um, Can you... Nobody should this have. is all just from adding Google Assistant to the smartwatch. And like Samsung watches have already had a, a built-in smart assistant for a while Bixby. already, right? Bixby? That's right. Bixby. And it's gotten to the point where, again, I've only been looking through forums the last day and a half. But I have seen plenty of Samsung users say, you know what? I'm just going to stick with Bixby <laughs> because yeah, can you technically that's what the watch the- was developed for. Can you revert the update? I don't know. It just sounds about like that specifically. I don't know why it's eating up your battery life. Um, just to add Google Assistant capability to your smartwatch. Well, when I onboarded it, so just to quickly answer uh, your question, you can set Bixby as the default and just kind of leave the assistant dormant where it just doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. I haven't tested any of that. I actually never set up Bixby because I never bought this watch for an assistant. I bought it for... Yeah, same. Mm -hmm. And so, but I still wanted it for smart home controls because I rely so much on on Google to turn the lights on and off, to make sure the AC comes on at the right time. And, you know, that ability when you're also wrangling a toddler, it will ask you if you want it on in the background always listening. And I turn that off. I don't even have always on display on. So there's a lot of A-B testing I'm still doing over here. <laughs> I'm just still yeah, trying no. to figure out what's I just, going like, on. I, you know, I'm the type of person who will, if there's a new OS update for my phone or my watch, I'll go ahead and do it um, because, I, you know, I want the new security stuff and I'm not too uh, bothered to usually go through what the update actually does. Um, and I'm also not the type of person to use my digital assistant on my watch that often. Um, so if I updated to this new version of the, the Samsung Galaxy watch um, and suddenly noticed my battery life draining uh, a lot more without any, any uh, addition to the phone, uh, the watch's capabilities, I'd be upset. Yeah, this was a Wear OS update, it's worth noting. Mm. At least that's my understanding of how this up but what i did is i updated it through the play store on the watch and it just gave me the assistant i also had like ping you though saying like we have a new wear os update would you like Mm -hmm. to okay i had no indication that there was an update i only did this update because of you don't have you here on like auto updates for something like that it does yeah it has auto updates that's why i was really confused about this rollout it seems like it came as a bit of fan service, I want to okay. I wanna say sort of sensitively. Again, I do have an LTE watch. It's the other thing I should note. And those always have way worse battery life than the non-connected ones. But it's never been this intense unless something is bad at the background. And um, I've noticed that when I get software updates that stuff like this happens. So it's not a perfect life for the Android watch user. We'll put it that way. I feel like this is a good time for us to pivot to 
your positive experiences. Yeah. With your Apple uh, so a couple weeks ago, I um, went on this podcast and I've been eating my words pretty much ever since saying like, I don't see the point of smartwatches. You know, I can do the same things on my phones and they, they make me seem like a, a target for, for mugging or ridicule or whatever. But shortly after that, it was my boyfriend's birthday and uh, he was like dropping hints like, I want an Apple watch. I want an Apple watch. So I got him an Apple watch. And while I was there, I was like, you know what? One thing I am tired of is taking out my phone and activating Apple Pay to swipe to get into the subway mm -hmm. all the time. I'd like to just be able to like ping my wrist to it. I'll get myself an Apple Watch too. And Flo, I love this thing. It's so, it's just fun to fiddle around with. I miss manual controls and it here, let me take it off. Um, it comes with this little like wheel where you can scroll up and down with and press things. And I know that's not unique to the Apple watch, but I love being able to just like activate. Uh, I don't want to turn it on because I don't want people to see, but I love being able to just like activate Apple pay with a couple of taps. I love being able mm -hmm. to go like this to go right into the, um, into the uh, subway. I love being able to control my podcasts and my audio for my watch. This is just like, I don't use it when I'm at home which is part of why mm -hmm. I haven't gotten into the uh, smartwatch ecosystem lately um, because I've been working from home for the most part, but I am coming back into the office right now. Um, and this is just like the ultimate commuter device for me, especially as I move into the hotter seasons and I can't store all my stuff in my pockets on my jackets. Um, and now I can just put everything in my like secure pocket on my backpack, which like, faces towards me so people can't like take things out of it without me oh, I knowing. love backpacks with those things yeah I can just put everything in there and instead of having to like open that up and pull my phone out to fiddle with it I can just like quickly make a couple taps mm -hmm. on my smartwatch and I'm there uh I can even like text my boyfriend on it I it's so silly I can either like do text-to-speech or send them text me uh, <laughs> voice messages. None of that is unique, go, go but I use it. Line for messaging him. And um, it's got, like, this weird, like, write letters to make them appear thing. It's not ideal for texting, but it is fun and funny, which is just the thing, like, this thing is fun to use. I feel like I when I'm, like, away from my phone, but I have this on, which is another thing I can... Uh, if I want to go just buy food, I don't have to take my whole phone with me and have it sticking halfway out of my pocket. Mm -hmm. I can just like pay for things with this, uh, even if my phone's far away and I didn't even get the cellular plan. Uh, it's perfect for that. But even when I'm away from my phone and it doesn't have much capability, I just like kind of want to poke around on it. I feel like I'm a Power Ranger or whatever mm -hmm. and I'm getting pinged and I have to go like, you know, oh, what's up, Zordon? What's happening? I, oh, I got to go morph and go to the thing. Okay. I just feel like I'm a spy taking messages. And I think that's, I think that's fun. Um, I think that's part of the fantasy of smartwatches, which is why like, I I've gone back and forth on them when they first came out and everyone was making fun of them. I'm like, why? We wanted stuff like this so much when we were kids. Kim Possible, Power Rangers, oh, even Kim like Possible. the Pokédex to a degree. Um but then I like started facing like my adult responsibilities and like, okay, well, here's all the ways a smartwatch might not be feasible. Um, but I've gotten really into like comfort tech recently. 
And I love living out that spy fantasy. So I'm officially reversing my position again. Smartwatches are good. Is this a good time before, you know, we take a little break to let you know that I just recently watched the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie of the mid 90s? Oh, my God. How did you like our good friend Ivan Ooze? Mm, that's, the movie just holds up so well <laughs> after all this time. It's Kimberly Joe Johnson for me, really. Uh, she, yeah, yeah, she ended up being on a, a Canadian, like, drama after Power Rangers. I forget what it was. But, um, you yeah, know, she she's one of the people who, like, continued an acting career after it, which is I so know. cool. I saw her Lifetime movies because I was, like, really into Lifetime during that time, which is oh. why I'm scared of everything now. <laughs> no, Lifetime is, like, <laughs> I went to a... In another life, when I was covering a bunch of celebrity news, I uh, got invited to go to a Lifetime movie premiere about, like, a woman getting revenge on a man who had wronged her. And it was so violent and scary. It's, well, you know, (laughs) this feels like a good time to segue (laughs) before we get into Flo's revenge fantasies. I don't necessarily disagree, but it is fun to see our our childhood action heroes become gritty adult action heroes. Speaking of gritty adult action heroes, we are going to talk about video games in our next segment. But before that, let's take another break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. are back from our break here for our second segment where we are talking about Xbox Game Pass, Amazon Luna, Google Stadia, all these new games as a service services that have popped up. Apple Arcade, Netflix is even getting into games oh, now. Yeah, about um, mm-hmm. We were prompted to talk about this because Game Pass, actually it came out that they were losing some, some subscribers recently. Uh, largely because um, Bethesda, which is one of Xbox's recent new acquisitions, uh, had to delay a couple of its games. So, like, big tentpole releases are a little slow for them right now. And there was some drama over that on Twitter uh, that we're not necessarily going to get into. But it did want uh, it did uh, prompt us to want to talk about these services because I don't know about you, Flo, but, like, when I grew up, the way I played video games is if I was really good, uh, after we finished our grocery shopping, there was a little tiny like side area in the grocery store where you could go in and rent movies and games. And I would get a Sega Genesis game to play. And that was my game for the weekend. Uh, otherwise, I would get like new games at Christmas, uh, but it was always renting or buying games. And for a long time, the internet was like, how can we make like a Netflix for games? 
you know, it's not really feasible to to let people stream them over the cloud because of latency. And we can't just like give people the files because then they'll pirate them. But now we have so many Netflix for games flow. And I saw you shaking your head there a little bit. What are you, what are your thoughts on these? Um, I really, so I'm a big fan of this as a service because I don't really have the money to drop on the major consoles and the build up the libraries that I would want to there. The only major console that I have is I have two Nintendo switches. I have a regular switch and then I have a switch light. Why do you have um, two Nintendo switches flow? Yeah, this I, I've mentioned Your this this podcast. Right. So when I got pregnant, I really wanted like to not have to share with anybody. So I got my own and I'm glad I did because I had Mona right when Animal Crossing came out. We hit the pandemic. So it was like it it was great. Honestly, best present. I say it again to buy for somebody who's pregnant and loves gaming. Okay, a switch. Uh, Okay, the switch. No, actually, that (laughs) that actually this is a completely different topic but a while ago i had to have some surgery um where i had a few months of convalescence recent uh Mm -hmm. actually and my favorite thing right then was i had like a proprietary steam link that we got from steam for like five bucks when they were just um just trying to get rid of their inventory Mm -hmm. and uh i put that up in the bedroom uh, hooked it up to the TV, and I was able to uh, play Final Fantasy XIV through it. An MMO, it's the perfect convalescence game. Because it's, like, just enough engagement without, like, necessarily making you stay, like, strictly on the entire time you're playing. This is perfect. You're getting you're getting my mind going, which is I'm, like, I'm jumping here because... Part of the reason that I started to consider cloud gaming, you know, I have a really nice laptop uh, that I invested in last year, but I ended up buying a laptop. And even though it has a laptop GPU in it, I have one of the latest Dell XPS 15s. Um, I have Core i7. It's like, but I mostly use that GPU for all this video stuff that we're doing Mm -hmm. here. I don't want to use this laptop for gaming. So then I heard... Elder Scrolls Online is coming to Stadia. And I was like, holy crap. I want to continue my game somewhere else because it wasn't really working for me here with this environment. Plus, like, I don't want to sit at my computer after, you know, a work day. I want to go change scenery, change postures and everything. So I thought, oh, how cool. I could use a Razer Quiche, which is my little Bluetooth, which is my little. um, I got one of those. It's like a little controller that you attach to the sides of your phone and turns it into a switch. It actually plugs in, I should say, which is why Mm -hmm. I uh, went back on the Bluetooth thing. It plugs into your phone. So it's like this perfect way of logging on. And I've got, you know, I cover phones. So I've got every single major Android phone with the best processors around here. I might as well put that to use and see what these companies see if they are putting their money where their mouth is with all of this stuff. And I have to say, like, I so I've played Stadia and Google Stadia and Amazon's Luna mm-hmm. so far. I've done Amazon Luna on the Fire TV stick on my TV. I also played it on my phone, which is a weird way that they do it. And then I've done Stadia as well. And, like, I, I was playing Control. I was playing the latest Resident Evil. Um, I've been playing through some of the Sonic... Uh, classics that have come out i've been playing hako life which is this kind of animal crossing indie i don't want to say knockoff because they really did a lot of amazing artistry for it and i don't want to homage 
Yeah. Ex- yeah. Kind of like, like an homage. Mm-hmm. But I had them on my Steam wish list for a long time. And I realized, like, I'm never going to play this on my computer. So let me try it on the TV. And I love it. Like, I'm finally, and I was there for OnLive when they were trying it out, like, what, 10 years ago? Oh my God. <laughs> OnLive was so slow. I couldn't. It was do so ahead of its but... time. I'm going to mute myself, actually, because New York is making itself known in my background. (laughs) It's the ambiance, baby. (laughs) I wanted to notice a a difference here. I wanted to, like, show a little bit of the city in my my background this time while I recorded. Um, Still not perfect, but, yeah, it's the realities of recording live in the middle of Midtown. Mm -hmm. That's right. You guys are in Midtown. I still haven't been to the HQ. I digress. (laughs) Yeah. The idea of being able to just log into a game without me having to worry about the hardware is a big deal because I miss being a gamer. I miss having a gaming PC, but with supply chain, with my life as a parent and just like the way that things have changed, I might as well make use of the ridiculous, absurd amount of money I spend on my internet every month. We have gigabit Mm -hmm. internet. My my husband does a lot of development at home. So. Um, I, I'm kind of with you on that, uh, especially as, as I've been commuting to the office more frequently. Um, I don't really want to sit in my office chair a ton after work. I kind of just want to lay down on bed. Um, so we actually set up my steam link that I was talking about earlier broke, uh, a couple years back, unfortunately. Uh, so we have since replaced it with dual raspberry pies we have a raspberry pie in our living room and then a a raspberry pie in our bedroom and both of them have the steam link app uh they're technically more powerful devices although i swear sometimes they lag a bit more than the like actual steam link device did and i'm guessing that's just because the steam link was purpose built for for steam streaming um but they have like an actual on and off switch and ways to like recover them when they brick valve, whatever. They don't sell the steam link anymore. <laughs> um, and I, I've been loving it. I've basically been doing cloud gaming, but I've been using my own personal PC as my server instead of like connecting mm-hmm. to Amazon or, um, or Google servers. And I think one advantage you get to that um, is aside from having more controls, you get to use your own library, which then yeah. brings us to the other side of cloud gaming, which is services like uh, Xbox Game Pass and uh, PS Plus, uh, which used to be PS Now, but they are moving it, um, their streaming service and their Xbox Gold competitor together into one. Um, And this is like a big way that affects how people play games now. Uh, A lot of people just like subscribe to Game Pass, which gives them access to like 500 or so games and and not buy or or rent games anymore. But this also moves into it into how games are made, which kind of brings me to my hot take uh, a little bit flow because I know game uh, Game Pass is very popular. Uh, Oh, and by the way, Game Pass does have a cloud gaming tier at like its highest level. So you can also turn it into a Stadia like if you want. Um, But I have a a bit of an issue with Game Pass uh, that concerns me because I grew up during the sort of EA Activision. We're buying up a bunch of studios era. I remember. Yes, yes. That was that was fun. 
Game Pass reminds me a, a bit in uh, of that in a way because I I see people constantly champion it as consumer friendly or or good for consumers and I want to acknowledge it is a good service. I don't hate Game Pass, but I do want to like do what I can to put a damper on that and remind people that Microsoft is not their friend and that monopolizing and cheering acquisitions is maybe kind of a scary thing. Because in the era of EA and Activision, what they would do is a studio would have a bunch of plans to make all these creative IPs. They would release one IP that got big. EA or Activision would buy them and then turn them into a factory for specifically that IP, this completely cutting off the rest of their creativity. And if that IP didn't work, they would either get rid of the studio or fold it into working on something like Call of Duty or whatever. And I worry that as companies buy um, these smaller studios again, we might be moving back into that sort of thing. So like even beloved studios like uh, Maxis, which is Sid Meier's studio, uh, they make Sims. Um, but Sid Meier has said like after they were bought by EA, they had all these ideas to make other games, but they just became the Sims factory. So we live in the era of IP. The new Chippendale movie just came out, which is like a big brag for like, here's all the IP that we could fit into this movie. Um, and I feel like a, a lot of Xbox Game Pass is like, here's all the IP that we could fit on Game Pass, um, which concerns me because it means that studios might be discouraged from making games unless they're the type of games that get big on Game Pass. Uh, especially because Game Pass being a subscription service probably sells itself more on engagement time rather than like individual game sales, which then sort of contributes to the permagame, Fortnite, Battle Pass style game, as opposed to like the one and done, you play it and you have a really nice experience, mm -hmm. you put it down type of game. And that's why I still play the Pokemon games. Because I <laughs> Granted, you have to catch them all, but uh, but now I have Pokemon Home, so I can all just yeah. dump them into one centralized place. I definitely do. I realize, I think I actually got on my soapbox there, so we just had a rant here, and we're going to have another rant. I'm trying to fit this into the segment. I have a bunch of thoughts about this. I'm not trying to come across as a too aggro. I do play games as a service games. So I was just talking about playing the Yu-Gi-Oh! mobile game earlier. Oh, I can... Of course. Listen, it's all incredibly valid. And actually, while you were saying all that stuff about Xbox, I was just thinking about like, oh, great, they're going to find a way. Because remember, when Google Stadia was starting out, um, they had a whole game studio in Montreal, and then they ended up letting go of all those people because they didn't make financial goals because they didn't. I mean, I'm just sort of talk talking out the top of my head, but... I remember it was very controversial because we thought that there would maybe be a new future in cloud gaming. And the fear is that it's just going to be more of the same. It's just that now, instead of physically owning something, you are going through a third party to pay for access to it. Right. Something that is being churned out. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the kind of thing that that concerns me. I do think this has its place. I love the idea of a Netflix for games, but even like um, 
Netflix itself, uh, it greenlights a bunch of original series, but if they're not the type of thing that can fit into the algorithm, um, then a lot of people just skip seeing it and that will affect what gets made. So just, um, there, there's incentives behind these things and it, it might be good for consumers right now, but I always urge people to, uh, have a, um, uh, a, a bit of skepticism when it comes to like major acquisitions and from treating these companies like your your friends and from like one company just having its its fingers in a bunch of different glasses of water that's a weird metaphor to think pies I don't know what people say um just to keep an eye out keep an eye out keep an eye out on that pie <laughs> mm. it's almost lunchtime here <laughs> I just had lunch, so maybe that's why I uh, I went to the pie metaphor. But anyway, uh, we just finished one rant, which means it's time for another rant. Uh, but before that, let's go ahead and take a break. And now it's time for me to step up on my soapbox very quickly to bring up a little bit. So thank you, Michelle, for giving me the space because um, I'm about to go off. Usually we fan in this last segment. We'll bring something up that we just really love. Uh, I mean, last week we talked about printers, which is a love of mine. But (laughs) this week I am talking about something I am not happy about, which is screens and cars. And I asked Michelle to give me this spot because I watched the New York Times' Tesla documentary (laughs) a couple nights ago, and it just enraged me to think about all of this technology that we are putting into cars and just sort of not properly equipping our people with how to deal with it. And I think screens and cars, it's not like autopilot in the Tesla, but I think screens and cars is one indication. It's one evidence of of how we're sort of heading in a wrong direction. I was also, um, okay. So I've been low-key covering screens in the cars since like 2014. It's something that I started on. I did this big feature for our Technica when I was working there about touchscreens. And I learned about how touchscreens were brought into the car because this is something that kind of started about 10 years, a little more than 10 years ago. Apparently, did you guys know that 1986 Buick actually put a touchscreen in its cars? Yeah, I uh, completely forgot about that. It was called the Graphic Control Center. This was done in the late 80s, 1986. And by 1990, and this is a direct quote from this New York Times article that I'm going to link in the show notes, uh, Buick had abandoned the graphic control center after drivers complained that every small adjustment to the car's temperature or radio caused them to take their eyes off the road while they prodded a touchscreen. I am facing this exact same problem right now in my 2021 Subaru Outback. This is our family car. We bought it for, you know, carting Mona around. We bought it for road trips. So we knew we were going to spend a lot of time in this car. It's also like my husband's primary car for getting around. And the touchscreen has been one of the pain points of me getting into this car to drive my family around. Android Auto, the connection for Android Auto is never quite stable. Sometimes it'll randomly crash while I'm driving in the middle of navigation, which, as you can imagine, is uh, 
makes me very angry <laughs> as it's happening because I'm driving on the freeway. I need to know where the heck I'm going, where the next exit is. And when you lose all of that, it can really throw you off what's happening around the road. So automatically I'm, you know, entering this distracted driving mode while this is happening. The other thing is this is an 11 inch touchscreen that I have in my car. And so everything HVAC controls, if I want to turn on the seat warmers, if I want to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the defroster is on, I have to do all this through the touchscreen. I still have a primary car that I bought 15 years ago. God, the knobs, I could touch those with my eyes closed. I know exactly like, oh, that's where the AC is. You know, it's, I miss knobs. I like the idea of having a screen in the car specifically for your Maps app, which is also something that that New York Times uh, article that you linked us to uh, talked about. It's like that is the one problem that it solves. But for some reason, they decided to make it solve every other problem. And now to I used to like ride the volume knob. I used to ride the... The air I do the knob. same thing. And now you have to go like beep, boop, bop. And like I was in my meeting with my boss earlier today. He leads Gizmodo. He's a techie guy. You know, he has the magic app on his iPad or whatever. But he was talking to me uh, trying to leave his um, one app on his iPad and open another and I was like, oh, I think, and we were having difficulty. I was like, oh, I think you got to do this to do that. And he's like, I just slap at it until it does what I want it to do. And the idea of having, I don't think he's alone in that. The idea of having to do that in the car is terrifying to me. Yes. Which is why I'm glad I don't drive anymore. Shout out to New York City behind me. I, I know. I'm so jealous of your public transportation. Um, I live in, I live very far out in the suburbs. So you have to have at least one car to get around here. And, but I also have been following the trajectory of Android Auto and because I was so excited when it came out because they had released a phone app version. So you could use your phone as a map screen and have like bigger buttons. So I had a way to sort of touch my phone in a legal, you know, sort of legal gray area to touch my phone while also having access to everything else. And now that Google's taken that away from me and replaced it with this Google Assistant driving mode. But not just that. Recently, I reported that Google's learning how to put YouTube on more screens in the car. This happens when you're parked. The car knows that you're unparked. It'll allow you access to these features. But like, why do we have them in the first place? You guys don't need YouTube in the car. If you need to watch YouTube, take out your phone. <laughs> And watch it. I, I, I don't <laughs> understand the idea of like. I saw. I got an email uh, a couple months ago. Actually, no, a month ago about a car that had a gaming PC built into it, and I'm like, I if maybe you live that van life, but even if you live that van life, I would make room to have like a separate laptop. You know, I don't want my car to be an all-in-one device, which I know I we're agree. moving towards with everything else, but my car is specifically there to get me from point A to point B. I agree. I agree, especially... It, it, uh, and that was the thing... Uh, 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 okay, let me rein it in a little bit here. This is all to say that while I have no control over how many car screens are going in the car, I do have control over how I can use these things. So for now, I would say 
if you are using this in the car, figure it out before you get into the car. What are you going to listen to? Exactly where you need to go and ha- and know instinctually in the back of your mind what you're going to do if everything crashes on you. Because mm-hmm. this, is, this is the rigmarole I have to go through now before I get in the car every time. I think that's um, the thing too. Like, it's like, oh, Michelle, why don't you want a car to be an all-in-one device? You know, if it's parked, what's the problem? It's just that, you know, if something breaks, you know, if something breaks with my iPhone, it's an all-in-one device so I can get it replaced or whatever. And it would be expensive, but not as expensive as replacing a car. If something breaks in my computer, I can actually get in there and fix it. But if something breaks with my car and crashes, it's a car. What am I going to do? I can't Especially- program it. I have mm-hmm. no way to like, you know, I, I don't know how to hack the car OS. Okay. That's something that I don't have time to figure out right now. It's and just I don't more that to, I have frankly. to think about while I, while I'm planning a trip and you know, a car, yeah. I just want to like, it's something that very specifically you need to be able to control within just like a few seconds, even maybe without looking at it. And screens are not conducive to that. I agree. So with that, I'm going to end and say, don't, if you really need to watch a movie behind the wheel, take the train. (laughs) Just take the train. You know, you get to look out the window. You get to see like cows and farmland and like maybe go through a metropolitan area. It's very cool. There's sleeper cars. You know, there's a drink train. Like, doesn't that sound way more fun? I wish. Well, that's something you can kind of do in some parts of the country. To our European listeners, uh, if you're here, (laughs) thank you. And also, I'm jealous. Um, Even even New York's public transit doesn't live up to that flow, but. Honestly, New York's public transit is very bad. It's just judging by the American standard. It's very good, which makes this car problem even more of a problem. But yeah, it's just sometimes you have that friend who posts about the sleeper car on Amtrak and you're like, you know what? That sounds nice. It does. I want to take once the the (laughs) pandemic has um, worn down a little bit. We were talking a bit before we started recording about traveling during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I want to take like an overnight train ride. That's been like a dream of mine since I was a kid and I've never done it yet. Yeah. I've always wanted to do, um, sorry, California to Chicago. (gasps) I chill out at night by watching videos of like sleeper, first class sleeper cars in like, Amsterdam and Norway, uh, Norway and <laughs> yeah. Japan and all these places with actual good transit. And there, there, I can understand having a screen. A little. exactly. I think you should be looking outside, though, because that's half the fun. Yeah. Unless you're in flat prairie land. <laughs> or it's night. Well, on that note, we should wrap up our own Mm -hmm. podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. Uh, This ended up being a very woman-splainy episode of Gadgets. (laughs) I didn't even get into everything. I haven't talked about, like paying Microsoft for to get access to indie games versus paying indie devs directly for their games and how that affects them. Game passes are good. It's just like they are not the one-size-fits-all solution. I think they, um, they're sometimes uh, purported to be. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get back on my uh, soapbox. Instead, I'm going to give you the floor, Flo. Uh, before we go, how can people find you? 
Uh, you can check me out on social media at oh that flow. That's my handle. And if you're curious about like all my Tamagotchi stuff, I post about that on TikTok. <laughs> awesome. Is is that the same TikTok handle? Yes, same TikTok handle. Great. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Shell Earhart. Uh, it's just my name with the MI cut off. And before we go, we'd like to thank our producer and editor, Artem Golub, for uh, putting together our videos and audio for us. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to our editor-in-chief, David E. Walt, who I've, who I've mentioned a few times throughout this podcast for uh, chipping in on this week's audio. Uh, and I'd also like to thank our cover designer, Vicky Lita, for making our beautiful album art. A uh, reminder to our listeners that they can email us at gadgets at gizmodo.com with any questions or suggestions or ideas or whatever. And they can also find us on our various social media profiles that we mentioned earlier. Uh, until next time, uh, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or I use Overcast, wherever you find your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.